This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about Esther today, so let's take a closer look. Let's do it. Got a 10-chapter book. That we're going to try to wrap up in one episode. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. There's a lot of stuff here. It's so a long, long book. Esther is a pretty famous story. I think, well, I don't know. If you've been around church for any length of time, you've definitely heard this story. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I don't know. If you've been around church for a long period of time, yeah. you've heard this story. It's definitely not as prominent as other stories, but it's not. It's one that, like, when you do hear it, it sticks in your brain. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's one of those kind of stories. Now, there's a couple of interesting things. Like, number one thing I want to point out is it's a story that the author's unnamed. We don't know who wrote it. My guess, probably Mordecai. Probably. Or a scribe of Mordecai. Yeah, one of them. Um, but I, that's purely speculation. I got no idea. No one knows. Um. But interestingly enough, there are stories like this told without being a dedicated book. Yeah. Somehow, it's a dedicated book, and Mordecai could easily be the protagonist. Yeah. Like, that's, that's he's, fan, he's yeah. the parallel character to Haman. That, that is a fair point. But it's not. No. The book is titled after Esther. Yeah. Which is really shocking to me, and we'll get there in a reason why. In a minute. But the other thing that I think is interesting, whoever chose to write this never mentions God once. Mm. Shocking. Very strange. And you know, like, kind of refreshing myself on Esther before the episode started. I've heard the story of Esther countless times at this point. And I don't remember that ever sticking out to me that God was never mentioned. Well, probably not, because it's in the Bible. You probably don't think like, oh, yeah, surely God's mentioned somewhere in here. Yeah, but like, it's not, no. Not once. Not once is it mentioned. No. So, I mean, obviously, there's something's going to, like, something is going on there. Yeah. Um, and I do think, well, I have a theory about why. I, I don't know if it's positive or not, but we'll get to it at the end. So the, the plot line of the story is this is right after about 100 years after the Babylonian exile. So the second exile, um, and when they're freed again, then you get Ezra and Nehemiah going back to build the temple, rebuild the temple, all that kind of stuff. But not all the Jews go back. Mm-hmm. Hence why you get into Nehemiah and you've got that whole deal about endogamy and don't marry with foreign women and all this kind of stuff because not all the Jews go back and reintegrate directly into former Jewish life. Right. And so Esther is living in a, a Persian city. And specifically in the city, the capital city of Persia, where the king is. Mm-hmm. And... 
The king is clearly a drunk. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, very obvious. Several times throughout the story, this dude is like just plastered drunk. Yeah. And does stupid things. So, in the very beginning of the story, he gets drunk and he's like, Yeah, let me show off my beautiful wife, Vashti. And so he's like, Hey, woman, come on out here and parade yourself out like cattle that everyone can like admire. And she's like, no, <laughs> she's like straight up. No. And he's like, well, fine. I'll just get rid of you and find me a woman that will. Yeah. So h- how do you find a woman that'll do the thing you want? You hold you, the beauty pageant. You make them do the <laughs> thing you want them to do before you marry them. Yeah. So this dude, no lie, almost a year long beauty pageant. Essentially. Yeah. That's it's essentially like, what it is. By the time Esther gets her turn to go into the king's court, it's like been 10 months. Yeah. So they, they he puts this edict out like, hey, any women that want to come be in this beauty pageant, whatever, like, come on and uh, you have a chance to be my wife and be queen. Which, how messed up is that? <laughs> it's a different world, man. It's a different world. Uh, no, I, like I get that, that it's a different world and all that, but like, can you imagine how many women he turned away? You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. And just broke their entire life. You know, doesn't really and, though. And embarrassed the junk out of them. Okay, so embarrassing, yeah. But I don't know too many people in the ancient world that like if they're beautiful are passing this opportunity up. You get a once in a lifetime opportunity to be queen of the largest empire in the world at this time. Yeah. Yeah. You're not passing that. I'll risk a little bit of embarrassment to, to go for this once in a lifetime chance. <laughs> and interesting. Mordecai is not Esther's dad. Yeah. Mordecai kind of sets this up. He brings Esther. It's, but it's not, uh, she's not his dad yeah. or he's not her dad. Yeah, yeah. It's like, she's his cousin or something like her parents died. And then he adopts her because she doesn't have anybody else. Right. Goes in, immediately finds favor. But he puts them under, I don't know, the text is not super clear about what he does. But the text says, the girl pleased him and won his favor and he quickly provided her with cosmetic treatments and her portion of food and with seven chosen maids in the king's palace and advanced her and her maids to the best place in the harem. And they go for months and months and months. Like of this... Weird beauty pageant. Well, but this cosmetic treatment. Yeah. I don't know what that is. But the text also says that like Esther's his favorite out of the gate. Mm. Now, Esther's also not her name. Her actual name is... Uh, Hadassah. Hmm. Yeah, this is uh, chapter 2, verse 7. Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his cousin, for she had neither father nor mother. The girl was fair and beautiful, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her as his own daughter. So her name's actually Hadassah. I don't know. uh, Esther must be like her pagan, her Gentile name or something. But like her Jewish name is Hadassah. So Esther's on scene and she's like, she's queen B. Yeah. 
And there is like a parallel in the narrative. We're focusing on Esther here, but there's a parallel in the narrative between a guy um, named Haman and a guy and Mordecai. Yeah. And they kind of play off each other. And as Haman's rising and then he hits his peak and then goes to his downfall. And at that peak place, Mordecai kind of takes it and slingshots up. And it's a whole thing there. Yeah. Go go watch the the Bible Projects episode on Esther. Yeah, they, it'll, it'll detail that out for yeah, you. Yeah, they, they definitely detail that out for you uh, if you want. Or just go read the, the narrative. You can read that too. But um, for most of us lay, pers- lay people, it's hard to see that parallel. Yeah, the, but I'm telling you it's there, so yeah, yeah. you can see it. Um, but for Esther's piece, what ends up happening is Haman gets mad, and he wants to kill off all the Jews. Long story short, there's a lot about the story that we don't have time to get into, but Esther's role is trying to stop that. Yeah. And so she goes about stopping that in a number of different ways. But... Coming back to the point that God is never mentioned in the book. And the Bible project points this out too. Esther and Mordecai are not moral examples. Mm. They're actually morally ambiguous Mm. because the book is littered with sex and drinking and violence and murder and all these things. And they're a part of them. It's like uh, a season of Gossip Girl. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, this seems like something... The king of Persia is like Chuck. Yeah. Chuck Bass would do something like this. Yeah, kind of. So, they're not moral examples. No. They're not like these stand-up citizens. In fact, they break the law... Several times. The, 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 the Jewish, Jewish law. law, several times. One of the most, like, the biggest one is don't marry Gentiles. Yeah. And yet, like, she straight up go enters into the contest, the pageant, all this kind of stuff. I think the reason God's not mentioned is because I don't really know that Esther and Mordecai are living the most faithful of lives to God. Mm. There's so much going on in their life that is not of God. It's against the Jewish law. It's, it's all the things that it's not supposed to be. So God's not mentioned, I think, because God's not on their mind. All they know is that the Jews are God's chosen people. And so... And Mordecai, when he comes to Esther and says, like, you got to do something, he doesn't say, like, if you don't do this, God will. Mm -hmm. He says, if you don't do this, restoration will come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. Like, redemption will come from somewhere. I don't know where it is. It'll come from somewhere else. But, like, God is not on their mind. Hence why they don't act they don't God. do all the things that's required by the law. Yeah. But here's the thing that I think is happening. Mordecai, when he comes to Esther, he says, this is chapter 4, verse 13. He's, t- he's talking to like Esther's handmaids. 
This is chapter, uh, chapter four, verse 12. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews, because now the edict's already been put out that they're going to kill the Jews or whatever. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink nor three day, for three days, night, three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Yeah. So in Persian law, Esther can't actually do what she's trying to do. Yeah. She could die. But... She agrees with Mordecai's premise. Perhaps you have been put here for such a time as this. Can you imagine the anxiety in Esther's heart? She's just been made queen. Yeah. And she could die. Yeah. The anxiety is real. Esther's not in a good place. There's a lot of things stacked against her. She's a Jew, and her husband, the king, doesn't know it. And so she's already been decreed to die in the Mm. midst of all this. And now she's going, hey, I'm already going to die. Or I hide my identity and let all my people die. So what do I do? She says, perhaps I've been put here for such a time as this. Perhaps we've all been put in situations of trial and struggle and discouragement for such a time as this. Nobody's saying that Esther's a model citizen. In fact, she's quite the opposite. She's just a beautiful woman who happens to be a Jew. Yeah. She breaks numerous laws. She's involved in all kinds of heinous drinking and sex and all kinds of things. But once again, what is the biblical narrative if not a narrative of God using broken people for redemption. Mm. Even when Esther and Mordecai are not looking for God, God shows up and is working behind the scenes in ways that we don't see. That song, um, it's a worship song. You're going to have to help me because I'm not good with lyrics. But even when I don't see it, you're working. I think that's uh, like Waymaker. Yeah. Yeah. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Perhaps, listener, you've been placed here in your unique position for such a time as this. 
And even though you don't see God working, even though you don't see the fruit of God's activity in the world, it's there. And nobody is saying that they're upholding the law, right? Nobody is saying that they're, they're perfect. Neither Esther nor Mordecai, right? And that's the thing. It's like, does Esther make it happen? Yes. She's, she's the catalyst of the person who brings about restoration for the Jews. She absolutely is. And that's why she is the head of the book. Because she's, you know, we had a comment on find some perspectives about paradigmatic like narratives for mm-hmm. redemption. This is a paradigmatic story yep. of redemption. Explain, Be- explain what that means for paradigmatic. Yeah. It's a paradigm to follow of what redemption and restoration looks like throughout the biblical narrative. Okay. And here's the paradigm. Nobody is ever saying, and the Bible never says then in order for restoration and redemption to happen, you have to be perfect. Mm. You have mm. to follow the law to the T. Yep. Nobody, nowhere in this book does it say that. In fact, this paradigmatic moment says the exact opposite. Mm. That even when you're not looking for God, God's still working. The only thing that you have to do is you have to come to a place where you say, perhaps... I've been placed in this position for such a time as this. The redemption, the restorative work of God is always working. Mm. Whether you see it or not, whether you're looking, whether you're actively participating in it or not, you have a role to play. Each and every one of you have a role to play in the redemption story. The question is, in what way will you embrace it? Do you even know that you're embracing it? I think for me, that's the thing that stands out is they don't they don't even think that they they don't even think that they are playing a role in a larger redemption story. They don't. All they know is they're trying to save the Jews. Yep. Now we can look at the narrative and go, okay, you're playing a very key role mm-hmm. in saving these Jews. You can look at the story of Esther and how it plays into the rest of the narrative of scripture and see a very huge kind of narrative playing out here. Now, once again, you can also see, and this goes into our narrative theology a bit, but you can also see that they're not looking for God or God's guidance or intervention in any capacity because once the edict has already been made, they can't reverse it. Yep. And so they don't withdraw to pray and say, God, what's the answer here? They just come up with their own plot. And you know what their plot is? That, hey, all you Jews that I've already decreed to die on this day, uh, when that day comes, fight, uh, back. <laughs> fight back and just kill everybody. Yeah. And so what do, they do? what do the Jews do? They wake up early in the morning, they go immediately and kill all of Haman's family. <laughs> I can confidently say, once again, like, violence not the answer. No, definitely not. But it's because they're not looking for God. Yeah. I've heard Esther preached... Several times, I've heard Esther talked about numerous, countless times. It's never occurred to me how little Esther and Mordecai actually care about God. Mm. 
they might care in some kind of way, but explicitly, it's never talked about. Yeah. And I don't think that's by happenstance. I, I think that it, they care the amount of the average normal person nowadays. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they care as much as the dude on the street that goes, yeah, I believe in some kind of higher power. Yeah. Like the, they and they're just, they, they happen to be in, Jews. Yeah, they, they believe in the abstract idea of a higher power and aren't even necessarily good Jews as we like to joke about. They right? are not good Jews at all. Yeah. And neither one of them, because no. Mordecai knows the law. Yeah. Dude, don't marry Gentiles. Oh, let me take this girl that I've adopted who's beautiful, who can give me a ticket into the palace, and let me go parade her around so mm-hmm. that she can marry this Persian, yep. who, by the way, Jews hate. Yep. Jews absolutely hate Persians. Yeah. So what does that mean for the listener? It means a few things. I can confidently say that this is a paradigmatic moment in the redemption story. There's a paradigm being set here. And it's twofold, or it's threefold. Number one, listener, if you are questioning why you're going through what you're going through, Mm. perhaps you've been put here for such a time as this because there's something that's happening that only you can do. Number two, You don't have to be a perfect person to be involved in the redemption story of God. Esther's not a perfect person. Esther's not looking for God. Esther's not following God to a T. And yet, she brings about restoration and redemption for an entire people group, the people of God. And third, God's not mentioned here because she's not looking for God. Mordecai's not looking for God. Their moral ambiguity, their, their, to some extent, hedonism. According to the Jewish law. Yeah. It's not for naught. It's not the right way to do it. But your decisions don't determine your destiny. Mm. God determines your destiny. And God is acting and at work in the world, whether or not you see it. The only question is, how will you embrace, how will you answer the question, perhaps I've been placed here for such a time as this.